0: Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our Senior Pastor Josh Planthold. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching.
1: I am rather fired up about today's sermon, so we are in Revelation 7 today. I know, I know. We are going to finish chapter seven today. So watch out. Because I'm halfway through studying for chapter eight and we are going to be in there forever. So (laughs) I get to talk about one of my favorite topics in the whole wide world today. I have had bacon and coffee today, and me and my son split a mango this morning, and we were covered. It was not good. Uh, no, one of my, obviously, my, my favorite topic to preach is on Jesus, and you should realize that because I do it every Sunday. But one of my things to talk about Jesus, and one of my favorite topics, is, is uh, Jesus as the Good Shepherd. All through the gospel, all through the ministry ministry of Jesus. If you read through the gospel yourself at home, and you should be reading it, and I I have been reading through the gospel every day for the last almost 10 years. Um, As you read through the gospel, if you can just keep in the back of your mind that Jesus is the good shepherd, you'll see it everywhere. Jesus revealed himself to be the good shepherd of Psalm 23. For example, when Jesus fed the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, what did he do before he fed them? Do you remember? He made them lie down on the green grass, it says in Mark. What does Psalm 23 say? He makes us lie down in green pastures. To what? Feed us. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus prepares a table for his disciples. Where? In the presence of his enemies. Who was there? Judas. 24 hours, he's arrested. To the woman at the well, what does Jesus offer the, the Samaritan woman in John 4? Living waters. Living waters. Still waters. To the disciples, what did Jesus say constantly? Follow me. In the Middle East, shepherds walked in front of their sheep, not behind him. So Jesus saying, follow me, carries with it shepherding themes, which is why in Psalm 23, what follows David? Um, it's uh, mercy and what's the other one? Goodness. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy. They're the help that corral David, but they follow Jesus. And not only did Jesus constantly show us by what he did that he was the good shepherd, Jesus even declared himself as such in John 10. Jesus says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Well, here we are all the way at the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 7. And we see the 144,000 who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. You hear the shepherding imagery? And now we see the innumerable multitude who have followed their shepherd through the great tribulation, have now followed Jesus right to the throne of the Father. And today's passage is saying in the clearest terms that Jesus is the good shepherd of Psalm 23, who leads his sheep, the church to the greenest grass in the universe, to the presence of the Father. So today's text, Revelation 7, is so intertwined with Good Shepherd theology and really all of Psalm 23. So let's have a little fun. We're going to peek at Psalm 23 real quick. Um, And I'm going to show you how intertwined Psalm 23 in today's text is. And then when we go through it, you'll be able to see it. And um, that'll be fun. Psalm 23, uh, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, Revelation 7 today, we are told that Jesus is our shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. In Psalm 23, the good shepherd leads us to green pastures for good food. In Revelation 7, verse 16, today's text, Jesus makes sure that we never hunger again. He leads me beside still waters. In verse 17 today, he guides us to living waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. In verse seventeen, God leads us. He guides us. And Psalm twenty-three, four: Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. God's presence in verse fifteen today is our comfort. We need not fear. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Who are these innumerable multitude in Revelation 7? Jesus has moved them beyond their enemies and has prepared a table for them at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then finally, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where Psalm 23 ends is where Revelation 7 verse 15 begins. Psalm 23 ends looking towards dwelling in the house of the Lord. But today's text opens, with us, opens uh, in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. So a healthy way to walk into today's passage is understanding that Jesus is building upon Psalm 23. That Psalm 23 closes with our eyes on the door to heaven and today's text opens with the church stepping through that door. That everything that David hopes for in the Psalms and all of the provisions that God makes for us in this life are fully realized, are fully maximized once we are in heaven eternally with our good shepherd. What what we need to see here in Revelation 7 verses 15 through 17 is the ultimate fulfillment, the climax of everything Psalm 23 was saying And hoping for that, yes, in this life on earth, for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the Lord is our shepherd. But he is our shepherd forever in heaven. And yes, the Lord provides food and water in this life when we are thirsty. And God provides so faithfully in this life, doesn't he? I mean, we just had a testimony of that. But in heaven, God isn't just giving us a good meal and fresh water, (laughs) He's going to meet every need so thoroughly that he removes all of our hunger. We're never going to thirst again. Yes, in this life, God leads us through our deep, dark valleys, and we don't need to fear. But in heaven, there are no more valleys or any more reasons to even begin to fear. In heaven, there's not even a danger. And of course, in this life, we look to dwell eternally with God. Isn't this our hope? But in heaven, we do. We dwell with God forever in his presence. So today's text, Revelation 7, verse 14 through 17, are some of the sweetest verses in the Bible, built on top of one of the sweetest chapters in the Bible, Psalm 23. So we, th- th- these verses today, this text that I have the privilege of explaining <laughs> to you, is jam-packed full of precious, precious promises for God's people. Um, so with that, let's get into it. Uh, let's get a running start at verse 9. Revelation 7. <clears throat> After this I looked and behold the great multitude that no one could number. I still, I, every time I read that I get so happy. <laughs> from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I said to him, sir, (laughs) you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. As we talked about last week, the innumerable multitude are those who have put their life, have put their trust in the cross of Christ. So one of the things we have to understand, not only for ourselves, but for our apologetics, these verses are not for everybody. All of these promises that we are about to read belong to the believer, to those who who know that they are sinners in need of a Savior. If your robes are dirty and you refuse to wash them, (laughs) you don't recognize that they need washing. Are those who step into eternity not trusting in their own morality, not trusting in their own works, as Paul lays out so clearly in the early chapters of Romans, not trusting in their own goodness, but in the blood of Jesus to forgive their sins before a holy and just God. All of the promises of today's text belong to these, to those who have washed in the blood, who trust and believe in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. So now, our sweet, sweet promises to the church. The elder tells John and us in verse 15, Therefore... Because they are under the blood, therefore, they are before the throne of God. (laughs) All through Psalm 23, all of the shepherding passages in the Bible, and there are a lot, you'll notice that the evil shepherd feeds himself, and the good shepherd uh, protects and leads his sheep to green grass and fresh waters. We, We need to see here where Jesus is bringing his sheep to the greenest grass in the universe into the eternal presence of the Father. There is no greener grass. Because he has cleansed us of our sins, we are now at peace with God and may dwell and live and rest and play and dance and sing and rejoice in our Father's presence. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us of our sins, of our wickedness, to stand before the Father as his child. Verse Fifteen. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And here we see what David longed for, don't we? To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And here it is realized. Today's passage picks up where Psalm 23 ends. By following Jesus through faith, we will dwell forever with God. Because Jesus died and ascended to the Father, because he is our shepherd and we follow him wherever he goes, doesn't this mean when we die too, we also ascend to the Father? This is one of the great things about Jesus dying. Not that it was good, but it was necessary because it shows us in Good Shepherd theology that because Jesus died, when we follow him, we'll die too. And when he ascended to the Father and broke through that tomb we're going to ascend to the Father and break through our caskets or dust or wherever, urn, wherever we are. We just follow our good shepherd wherever he goes. Then it goes on to say, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. (laughs) One of the things that I really don't like personally is when my house loses power. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I just... It's like someone just sneezed on my dinner. It's just like, it's ruined. Days ruined, you know? If it's cold, I'm worried my kids are gonna be too cold. If it's hot, I'm not gonna sleep, you know? I have a freezer full of meat that I just don't wanna lose. I hate losing power. But every time I do, it's a reminder at how thin our layer of stability and security in this life really is. But when we are in heaven, what keeps us secure? Is it the BGE and e power grid? <laughs> our backup generators? Police fill grocery stores the might of the U.S. military. All of those things can fail. So No we are secured forever in heaven by god almighty's presence. in psalm 23 it is the rod and the staff that is our comfort, but in heaven it is as if god puts a blanket around us and him it says you're not going anywhere. <laughs> and then verse 16 <clears throat> and they shall hunger no more and th- never thirst anymore. Here we are seeing the good shepherd imagery. Again, Jesus isn't just going to quench our thirst, but is going to quench our thirst. John 14, 13, forever. (laughs) The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. And of course, a shepherd is mindful of sheep in the hot days. But I wonder if this is a reference to the fallen earth. If you remember in Genesis 3, when God came down to walk with man in the cool of the day and he found out that they were hiding and they said, why are you hiding? And they said, we're naked. And he said, who told you we're naked? And they said, the serpent did it. What did the serpent do? The woman made me do it. And everyone's just pointing at everyone else. What was the curse to Adam? By the sweat of your brow. In Revelation, it's, it's almost as if God is telling them that their days in a sin-ridden world a life plagued by the fall, by the sweat of your brow, is totally over. There is no more Genesis 41, 27. No more famine. No Exodus 16, 21. No more time wandering in sub wilderness. The curse will be removed from God's people forever. <laughs> Verse 17. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Whoa, you hear that beep? Mm. I got a beep. I just call, it says you want me to call 911. No? Am I having a heart attack? (laughs) Something? Is there a bacon shortage? Why are you beeping me? (laughs) Do you see the first thing that comes into my head? I got a problem. Uh... (laughs) find me on Dr. Phil. I just couldn't stop eating it, doctor. Um, Jesus is shepherding. That's hard to transition from. Jesus is shepherding his people to greener grass. And then it says, and he will guide them to springs of living water. Uh, Interesting, isn't it that thirst and water is mentioned twice in this passage? So there's an emphasis here on the waters of heaven. And as we get to the end of this book, the waters in the New Jerusalem will be really emphasized. And at the very end of the book, four verses from the end of Revelation's closing, these waters are offered to us again. And these living waters are not just important here, but they were central to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Again, think of John 4. And so as this book progresses, we want to keep a lookout for the waters of heaven. We've been introduced to something new here. But for today what we need to understand is that our good shepherd, Jesus, leads us to these waters. In John 4, 13 uh, and 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That's earthly water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Well, as John 4 unfolds, the living water Uh, this living water was given by what? Following Jesus as a shepherd. Same here today. If you want living water, if you want eternal life, if you want room in the new Jerusalem, then follow Jesus, the good shepherd, and he will lead you to these waters. And then finally it closes, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I might be my favorite, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) That's a good one. That and the shelf, the presents. I love the presents, but they're all my favorite, but I have my favorites, you know. Uh, Once we are in glory, we will have ceased to have any reason to cry. And it's not just that Jesus will wipe the tears from our eyes. It's that Jesus places us in a position to no longer have any reason for tears ever again. And this is really profound, isn't it? This is a precious promise to any Christian who struggles with mental health. That's that's something that really hit me this week, because it's not talked about too much. So I really think this is a good time to pause and reflect on this. So please hear me for yourself or others. Christians, though sealed with the Spirit of God, can and will struggle with mental health issues. A lot of Christians feel very broken because they just can't put this together. But we have to understand some of God's greatest saints have had some of the greatest mental health issues. William Cowper, the great English hymn writer, he physically hurt himself several times from depression while he was writing some of our most precious psalms. Charles Spurgeon struggled with deep depression. He was probably the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. Arthur W. Pink kicked everybody out of his life except for his wife from his depression. One of our greatest writers. Jacob in Genesis 31, 40, he was so mentally tortured he had insomnia for 20 years. Paul seemed to struggle with some thorn in his flesh that was called a minister. Of, it was an evil spirit, it seemed to be. That, something I predict to be mental, not Physical. Psalm 34, verse 17, Psalm 42, verse 11 talks about David's own depression. John 14, 27, Jesus knows Christians are going to be anxious people. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Paul knows Christians are going to be anxious people. (laughs) So don't think because God is with you, you will never be sad. Or you will never be depressed. Or you will never be anxious again. Please hear me. How you feel about yourself, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 5, does not reflect how God feels about you. Throughout church history, understand that some of God's most precious children were mentally tortured and did not feel it. So, So here's the promise of today's passage that we need to suck up here the way you feel sometimes, your, your depression, anxiety, your nervousness, anger, bitterness, please understand in heaven that Jesus is not just going to make those pains hurt less. <laughs> it's that Jesus is going to make those pains disappear. In the Greek, that word, wiped away, he wipes our tears away, actually means to blot out or to cancel. You know we live in a cancel culture right now? Well, Jesus is going to cancel your tears. (laughs) He's going to cancel your anxiety. He's going to cancel your depression. It's not that he's just going to, you know, we think about it. Oh, they're not in pain anymore. Jesus heals your hurt. No, that's so shallow. Jesus is going to make it so that you never hurt again. This is the green grass Jesus is leading his people to through the cross. So the anxiety and depression we have here and and now God is using it for a purpose. Don't think that you're suffering just for suffering's sake. Romans 5, Romans 8, your pain is not wasted. God is using it for something. But, But the promise here is that one day in glory, God is going to blot those things away, cancel them from you Forever. And this is the green grass and the still waters the good shepherd is leading his people to, is leading his church to. You have to see that today's passage is is everything Psalm 23 was building to. And it is now finally realized in the blood of Jesus Christ that we watch ourselves in. And that's today's text. Two thoughts. First, you see why this is like my favorite topic. This is so good. Uh, so, uh, two thoughts, the sheep and the shepherd. <clears throat> first, the sheep. Actually, first coffee. I felt it. I felt it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> first, the sheep. One of the reasons God so often communicates himself as the good shepherd is because it not only tells us who he is, doesn't it also tell us who we are? (laughs) We're sheep. Do you know that about yourself? We're sheep. Let's talk about sheep. (laughs) Shall we? Did you know, there's a lot of places I can go here. They stink, they complain all the time, they're always lost. Did you know sheep are territorial animals? I didn't know that too long ago. If I'm being honest, they'd kinda be jerks. Mm. Older sheep of the flock are known for walking around, you know, strutting their stuff as a show of dominance as a show of dominance. They'll walk up to a younger sheep who's just lagging down and will and telling him to move. You're in my spot. And if the younger sheep doesn't move quick enough, the older sheep will start headbutting him mercilessly until he moves. Sheep are kind of mean. And if you get one really problematic older sheep, or God forbid a few of them, the whole flock, the whole community becomes perpetually unsettled and rested. They get like turf wars. They are mean. If you, they are mean and bully sheep. Now God talks about this uh, dynamic in Ezekiel thirty-four. It's a great shepherding passage in, in Scripture. Uh, Ezekiel thirty-four: I myself will be the sheep, uh, shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. Do you see the connection there? The the, The solution to the difficult sheep in Ezekiel is that the shepherd straightens them out. And in Psalm 23, the sheep are truly resting. And the reason why is because the shepherd is there. Here's what the Bible has laid out plainly. Sheep bite, (laughs) they headbutt, they yell at each other, they complain constantly. And for example, in Luke 15, um, sheep often get lost and run away in the wrong direction. And think about it. Where was Moses when he saw the burning bush? High up a mountain. He don't take a joyride high up a mountain unless there's some sort of adrenaline junkie. Why was he high up in a mountain? Looking for a sheep. In Luke 15, the shepherd is doing what? Finding the lost sheep. In Psalm 23, the shepherd restores the sheep to the paths of righteousness. To restore something means something got lost. And when we get lost, what happens to the sheep? We become lunch. (laughs) Here is what we can learn from this. The sheep does not know better than the shepherd. I do not care how clever you are. You do not know where greener grass is better than the Lord. And within today's beautiful passage, and really all of chapter 7, is some really simple instructions. If you want heaven... If you want to never thirst or hunger again, if you want to dwell with God in peace forever, then really simple, follow the good shepherd. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if, the, if he is the only way to the Father, John 14, 6, is through Jesus, then it's not complicated our Christian life now, is it? Follow him. God has given the church 66 books of our Bible to help us here. Read the word and live the word. Read the word and live the word. Follow Jesus. And this is how Jesus talks all through the gospel. Luke 9.23, Jesus says, follow me. Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me. John 12, 26, Jesus says his people follow him. Luke 18, Jesus says, follow me. In John 10, John 10 is a whole chapter about Jesus describing himself as a good shepherd. And Jesus said in John 10, 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Loved ones, all of today's beautiful promises can be had for you if you do one really simple thing. Follow Jesus. Read of his word, believe it, crazy idea, believe it, and then live like it's true. If he calls something a sin, crazy idea, maybe it's a sin, And if he wants you to live a certain way, I don't know, he's God. (laughs) Listen. Read his word and follow him. And as we connect Psalm 23 and Revelation 7, it is those who follow Jesus in this life that follow him into the next. And those who do not follow him in this life that do not get him in the next. So if if I can put one thing in your head today, Follow Jesus. (laughs) Read his word and follow him. There's a lot you're going to learn along that path, but that's the path. Secondly, the shepherd. Here is the truth. (laughs) What makes heaven heaven? Why do we have no more tears? Jesus, the good shepherd. Why do we thirst no more? Jesus. Why do we hunger no more? Jesus, heaven is not, utopia. Heaven is not uh, utopia because it is like some cruise ship with a good view and 24-hour room service. <laughs> no. Heaven is heaven because God is there. Here's the truth. If God was not in heaven, heaven would not be heaven. Heaven is perfect because perfection lives there. Greener grass, still waters are only good if the shepherd is with us. Otherwise, we are lunch for some beast beside a babbling brook. When we think of heaven, we, we have to make sure we have to make sure we're not thinking sinfully because we all can do this. We can think of heaven first and foremost as a place where we meet our loved ones. Sinfully, we can think of heaven as a place where that pain in my back goes away. We have to make sure we are not thinking sinfully about heaven. Heaven is not paradise because it has nice weather. (laughs) Heaven is not perfection because the streets are made of gold. Heaven is heaven because God lives there. And notice that the elder This whole section with the elder is about one thing very clearly. He wants us crystal clear on who is in heaven and what heaven is about. The elder wants us crystal clear on this. And notice, I'm going to read through uh, verse 15 through 17 really quick here. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Heaven is heaven because it is in the presence of God. Do you see that? They shall hunger no more, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For, that Greek word there is because. Because the lamb is in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd The comfort, the sustenance, the peace, the rest we have in heaven is because God is there with us. And he will guide us to springs of living water. Do we find it? No, we don't find it. God leads us there. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Our tears don't just stop because now we're happy. We don't just go, hey, you know what? This is pretty nice. God cancels them. God wipes away our tears. Heaven is heaven because God is there. This is why heaven sings in verse 12. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Part of the reason heaven erupts into praise here is not just because of what God has already accomplished, but heaven erupts into praise because of what he is presently accomplishing in their life. It's not power and might used to belong to our God. It's not heaven and might now belongs to our God. It is forever and ever. Heaven is heaven because God keeps it as such in his sovereign will. Our tears are canceled because he is presently deciding it so. Every day in heaven will be better than the last. And the reason it will be is is because God is presently choosing every day to make every day better. Heaven will be heaven. Will remain heaven because our good God keeps it as such. Now, one of my favorite books uh, outside of the Bible is Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, uh, a Catholic. Funny, but he he's got a great book. It's like sixty-six reasons why I'm a Catholic. It's really funny if you read it. But um, he's he was he was a card man. Um, he says in. in Orthodoxy, again, one of my my favorite books. Because children have abounding vitality. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free. You notice kids can just dance in front of a whole party. My little Caleb, he's three years old, he just decided to rip his shirt off yesterday and just start dancing and showing muscles, you know? Muscles is what he does. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things to be repeated and unchanged. You notice a kid wants you to do something over and over again. They never get sick of it. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning do it again to the sun and, and every evening do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy for we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And I believe what Chesterton has said is true. I do not believe when we get, <laughs> when God made the universe, he wound it up like a watch to run itself. <laughs> I believe every day the sun rises because God says rise. Yeah. And I believe every day we wake up, it's because God says wake up. And I think the elder is crystal clear here. I do not believe God made eternity to run itself. Every day in the new heavens and the new earth, every day will be perfect because God is saying, do it again. Heaven is good because it is filled and run by a good God. And our eternity will be good because it is filled and run by a good God. And every day in heaven, we will then be able to see what he is doing every day. And we will be able to give him glory for it forever and ever. Not just because of what he's done, but for what he continues to do. And so as we close, and I know, I'm not a fan of repeating myself over and over again, but God does it sometimes, and so so should I. Heaven is heaven because God is there. And those who have washed themselves in the blood will be eternally sheltered, tabernacled it means, in his presence because the good shepherd has led us there and will keep us there forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. We thank you for these precious promises to the church. Thank you that you are the God most high and there is none beside you. Thank you that you do not get weary of doing good. Thank you that you do not get weary of rising us every morning. You do not get weary of every sunset, every sunrise. Every day in eternity will not one day go, ah, I'm bored of this. (laughs) You will sustain us forever. You will make it so your people never thirst or get lonely or weary or worn out ever again because you decided to be so. God, we pray for those of us that are weary and heavy laden, that we may come to you and follow you and find rest today. And God, we pray for those that that do not know you, that have not followed you, that have been lackadaisical or or evil in their resistance towards you, that, that today may be the day of their salvation that they may hear your voice and follow you. (laughs) You'll fill in the gaps along the way, but we just need to follow and obey. And so God, place these very simple truths deep into the core of our soul. Follow your shepherd. And in Jesus' name we pray. If anyone needs special prayer, please receive it up here. Don't be afraid. God, if anyone needs to talk, just encourage them to speak to somebody. We do pray. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen.
0: Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.